This is CliffCentral.com. Good day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Disrupt with Mbumin Tlapo. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today in the studio with me, I've got a very interesting person, someone that I have worked with and that I'm excited to have a conversation about. We'll be talking about customer centricity and how important it is, even today in a technology-driven world, to be centered towards customers, to keep uh, the customer voice, the customer identity at the center of everything we do. Um, welcome, Mike Butner. Thank you for joining me. Morning, Mpume. Thanks. Very nice being here. Thank you very much. Mike, um, just you know, a bit of your background. You've been with T-Systems, which is a sponsor of the show, since 2007. You started off as a general manager in operations. Um, in 2010, you moved to Europe. You were in the Netherlands, I believe, um, working there from the European offices. We'll chat a little bit about that. And then from 2013, you've been a member of the board, um, of the, of the executive committee, pardon me, of T-Systems. Um, and you're currently the vice president of sales and service management, but you've also been in delivery. So quite a broad set of skills that you've developed over the years. And you've been in IT before T-Systems for a number of years, I think about 23 years in total. It's been a long journey with technology. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey with technology, though, um, and, and yeah, 10 years with T-Systems. And um, prior to that, in a technology world, apart from one year in a financial institution, being the customer, which was absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, uh, and I've enjoyed every single month of changing technology and the changing face of technology as it's evolved through the years. And I'm guessing, you know, the topic of customer centricity is just far more, I guess, relevant to you, uh, tangible to you now that you are at the cold face of the customer um, running, you know, sales and service management systems. Why are you so passionate about customer centricity at this stage? Yeah, Bumi, I guess I've always been uh, passionate about customer services throughout my career. Uh, very fortunate to have also run a program, a, a customer centricity program, which I uh, called Only You Can Make the Difference. And it was based on services and how to deliver services. Okay. And um, ever since then, I've been uh, actively involved in, in um, making sure that whatever we do, you do for the customer, whether it's through technology or whether it's through just meeting a commitment. And um, the one thing that even though when I was running the operational environment or environments even, even in the financial services industry, uh, I always referred to the folks um, by saying to them, if you're not serving the customer directly, you're serving somebody who is serving the customer directly. So to me, it's always been core to, to what I do and, and how we evolve and manage teams. Given given that the customer has always been there and they've always been important to businesses, what is it about this time that's creating such a focus on conversations around customers? You know, when you attend any conference or any conversation, one of the first things that will come out of people's mouths is, you know, we need to strategize with the customer in mind, the customer at the core. What is driving that narrative right now? Well, you know, many of the things that we do um, whether we're in an ICT space like ourselves or the retail, motor manufacturing, um, whether you're in the healthcare business, whether you're in government, you know, you can buy these services um, at the drop of a hat from a competitor. Yeah. And um, for me, um, you know, it's become very commoditized, uh, a lot of the services we provide. Hence, you know, drawing the customer in, keeping them and locking them in is extremely important because technology is driving a lot of that for us. It's speeding up 
the road to the customer so significantly that if you lose focus on the customer yes. and only focus on the technology that drives it, you're going to lose. Absolutely. You're going to lose. So um, um, that's why it's important. You know, it, the customer always has to be at the core. Um, again, you know, with, with technology, you can p- provide good or bad service from within that customer store instantaneously. Yes. Instantaneously. And um, people need to be aware of it. All customers in all spaces um, have the power right there in their hands. Wow. I read a report that said that um, 95% of CEOs and senior managers that were polled on what would be the next competitive battleground in business. So this was across industry. Uh, <clears throat> 95% of them at the time said that um, customer delight. So um, the ability to win customers over would be the biggest competitive battleground. How is technology starting to play a role in that space? Because technology has always been there, but I think now more than ever with big data and the ability to more understand customers, um, technology has a bigger role to play within this conversation around customer centricity. Yeah, Pumi, it's been been an amazing evolution in terms of how technology is driving this. I mean, there are so many, so many, many examples of of how you put the power back into the customer's hand. Okay. Not only from uh, any form of push marketing that you can do. I mean, we're getting to the point where you are identified as you walk into the store. Most people today have access to mobile mobile devices. Absolutely. Because we're all mobile in our in our environments anyway. So if you walk into any environment, you can be identified. And once you're identified, you can uh, start looking at what are your shopping patterns. Uh, and what are you buying? And once you've got that in hand, you can start analyzing that and you can start having focused marketing in on individuals, for example. So yes. that if there's a special on the type of product that you really like, when you walk into that environment, they're going to push it down uh, onto your phone, onto your mobile device and say, we have some specials on these things that you like very much. So around those things, many of our customers and ourselves are building the technology in such a way that you can analyze it, you can understand it. There's so much um, investment made in uh, data scientists today. It's incredible Absolutely. to analyze what it is that they're getting and how better and how much more efficient uh, a service they can provide their customers. And um, it's it's powerful and very encouraging to see at the same time. Mm. And now… At, we, we do run the risk of being very broad. You know, we can say we're customer-centric because we offer specials or because we've got a loyalty program. But I think there are some fundamental building blocks to what a customer-centric organization might look like. Could you maybe share your thoughts on how we start to define customer centricity in a way that makes sense for organizations? Yeah, I mean, uh, the one uh, element of it is extremely important to me, which is trust. And I'll I'll get back to that in a second. Because if we lose trust with the customer, we're just going to mess it up totally. Absolutely. Um, And so the trust trust factor is extremely important. But I think there's certain habits that I I think we as uh, service providers, whether or not we're in a commoditized or a commodity-type business or we're in a true services business, needs to take care of. Okay. You know, if you're working on a factory floor and, and manufacturing clothing or you're manufacturing or you're putting together a, a motor vehicle, uh, you should have this in the back of your mind. I mean, in our industry, which is ICT, we've got a back office team, which is equally as important as our front office team. Absolutely. So, you know, I think there's a couple of habits that we've got to look at. And um, I think the one thing is the focus. Um, 
that you need to look at. You need to say this is what I want to focus in on and zoom in on. Okay. It's a couple of expensive um, <clears throat> learnings through the many years that I've been in the industry is that, you know, when you apply, I want to be everything to everyone. Uh-huh. You just lose out. Okay. Um, so the focus in terms of what is the specific value add that you provide to that particular customer? Well, I, I think it's that, but it's also in terms of saying which are the customers we want to attract. I see. Okay. So, so, and how do we want to attract them? So, you know, do you want to focus on industries and which are the industries you want to focus on? Okay. And then specialize your products, your services, your marketing engine, um, your sales force, the knowledge around that industry, for example, around those industries and around specific brands within those industries. Okay. So that form of focus then drives the entire value chain in, in that specific industry. That's the focus that you want it to be. And that's okay. certainly what we've done in terms of the focus is to say, let's focus on specifics to make sure that the entire engine supports that um, and see, see if we can evolve from there. Fantastic. So we've got, we've got the focus as the first, <clears throat> you call them habits. Yeah. I, I call them, you know, what are, what are some of the, what are, what are some of the key habits? Okay. There's a, there's another key habit, which I think is, is very, very uh, uh, important. And that's just making sure that, <clears throat> that people say what they're going to do and then do it. You know, um, again, th there are too many examples that we have in our industry um, and in South Africa as a whole where yes. people say, I'm going to do it now or I'm going to do it tomorrow or I'll deliver this to you in 48 hours and we're late. And you're, it's just, again, you know, my earlier statement that said people have now got a choice. Customers have got a choice. They can switch on and off as quickly as possible. Absolutely. So, They've got the information available yeah. to even have alternative options. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and literally can switch the, the – the, this, flick the switch, you know, some of the contracting that we have in place and other people have in place means you have a choice to depart straight away. But any of the service providers, commodity providers can change um, or their customers can change with a, with, with a blink of an eye. So if you do what you say and then do it, people tend to come back to you. And it gets back to that trust aspect, which I'll cover when I wrap this up um, okay. a little bit earlier on. So th there's that discipline that I think service providers, whether you're in the r restaurant business or whether you're building a car, okay. it doesn't matter. Okay. Say yeah. what you're going to do and then do it. And do it. Okay. Fantastic. Um, the third one for me is, is just as important. Um, and that's getting back to the earlier discussion that we had around analytics and understanding your customer. Because I think we tend to neglect this because if we don't understand our customer and our customer's behavior, uh, and each of them are, are unique because everybody once has this need to feel important. You know, when I walk into a restaurant and somebody says to me, hi, Mike, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. It's great to see you and your family again. Changes everything. Man, I, this is the best restaurant in the country. You haven't even tasted the food yet. I haven't yet. tasted the food, you know, and the waiter comes up and she says or he says, are you going to have the same bottle of wine as you had last time? Or are you going to have the same drink as you had the last time? And by the way, that's that steak that we had, it's just perfect for you. Hmm. You know, little things like that makes me come back. And guess what? The price is probably a little bit higher yeah. than what I can get at another restaurant. But I come back there because I'm made to feel extremely important because they know me and they know my needs. 
Okay. Right? And they give me a choice around that. So one of the, the to me, the third habit is understanding the business your customer is in. Okay. And if you understand the business your customer is in, you can ask them the business-related pain points. Okay. Where are your latest pain points? I understand when I spoke to your architect or I spoke to your engineer, you know, that these are some of the pain points that I see. Let's see how we can help you fix the pain points. Okay. Or I want to help you with a smart factory. You know, little things like that, that you turn around and you understand who they are, what is important to them, what their values and beliefs are, who the decision makers are, who all the the people are in that value chain of the service that you provide is extremely important. So, so what I gather there, that it's not just a, a cursory understanding, it's really an intimate understanding of your customer and of your customer's business as well. Mm-hmm. That intimacy seems yeah. to be a key point. There. Yeah. Ach, look, it's so important. You know, um, I remember when I was a customer and the the guys that used to come into my office and introduce themselves were fantastic, were really fantastic while well, the sales process was happening. Yes. When it ended, I never saw them again. And I'm wondering, but I bought from you. Yes. I bought from you because I trusted you. I liked you. So far, what you know, you've given me as your promise has been delivered. But I kind of want to deal with you. I miss you. I miss that special service. <laughs> yes, you know, and that intimate understanding, and and the and as a customer, having sat on the other side of the table, the folks who kept that momentum going with me, albeit just a pop in when they were in my building. Okay, Mike. Hi, how are you doing? Just checking. Yes, you know, will we see you for dinner? Uh, will we see you for lunch? Um, you know. Um, those types of things. How's the family? Uh, are you still playing golf? Those are the guys that you link to because they deliver two things. They make you feel good about spending your money. Yes. And the product and the service they attach to it, they personalize. In other words, they say it's their personal brand that they attach to that product and service. So it's intimate. And, and I guess the consistency then. So it's not just about a transactional relationship. It's that consistency and engagement beyond whatever particular deal you were working on at that time. Exactly. And, 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 and I want to continue, therefore, doing business through that, through that individual, through that group, through that company that yes. made me feel, well, that's made me feel successful. Imagine, you know, as a junior staff member or a, a shop floor assistant or something like that, if a customer goes back to the manager and says, that shop floor assistant was excellent. Mm. I'm coming back here. You better look after her. And you know what? I've paid 50 rand more for the shirt. I don't care. Because I was made to feel special. That intimacy. Yeah? Very important. That to me is the the, the third habit. Um, And and, and linking to that uh, is habit four, which to me is around just the old quality around client relationships. Okay. Um, and, And a good quality relationship is often tested. When you disagree with a client in terms of where they're going and you can tell them that. Okay. In such a way that they'll sit back and say, hmm, that's a good idea. You know, you become a thought leader. You help them with the thought leadership process. Not that you know everything. Yes. But when you see through this whole process that you're able to push back and they listen and understand, even if they disagree with you, but they don't lose their trust and respect within you know, that process because you've pushed back on it. But how do you establish that? And again, it's, it's through the trust practice. And maybe, maybe what I should do is, you know, just touch on the, some of the aspects of trust. Okay. Um, 
when you when you get to that. Um, in 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 fact, in fact, you know, it's it's such a good question because it's an evolution. It's it's a time based thing. You can't just walk into somebody's office and know there's a relationship and it's based on trust already. Mm. There's always they people always say there's this gut feel, there's this I've clicked with him or her. Um, you know, I like this guy or this lady because they just make me feel good. They're not too pushy, etc. Mm, et they et seem to know what they're talking about. Exactly. They they've asked me the right questions, but that's almost too soon. You know, trust is. Trust manifests itself when things are delivered and you look at it and you go, wow, these guys, these guys do what they say they're going to do yeah. at the end of the day. So one of the, the key aspects around trust is around reliability. Um, and that's, again, where you keep your promises. Okay. So that's, to me, the cornerstone of, um, of, of building trust. Say what you're going to do and do it. Well, what about in the bad times? What about when… Um, I mean, uh, every organization or company would want to provide excellent service every time, but things happen, things go wrong. And um, I want to believe that it's in the difficult times that you've got the best opportunity to build a lot of trust. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, things are going are gonna to fall through the cracks at some stage of the game, whether it's technology that fails you. Um, you know, whether it's the wrong size shirt that gets delivered to your house, whether yes. There's a scrape on your bumper when the car gets delivered, you know, whether the engine block you've received is not the <laughs> right one uh, or it's slightly under spec. Those little things are going to happen. Um, it's how you recover from that, though, that's extremely important in this relationship. Yeah. Things happen. And when they happen, you have to recover from it quickly, learn from it, and prevent it from reoccurring. You know, and, um, geez, I've got so many things I want to speak about. You know, the, the zero outage philosophy falls directly into that, but we can park that. Yeah. You know, and see if we've got some time at the end. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can share a story because I know you were in the Netherlands looking after the Philips, which is a global yeah. um, technology company, the Philips account there. And, uh, certainly part of what you were doing was resolving issues, problem solving. Yeah. Um, <coughs> So maybe give us context in, in, uh, so that we get to understand how you turn a difficult situation into an opportunity to build trust and then to engage even further. Is, are there any stories around that that you can share perhaps? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose there's, uh, there's one or two. I mean, you know, the first thing I want to say to you is how you build trust is slowly and yeah. with patience. Okay. Coming in there gung-ho, bullying a china shop, saying I'm going to fix this world for you uh, is slightly naive. Hmm. Um, uh, because then everybody's just going to frown upon it, and the first thing that goes wrong, no matter how small, they're just going to they're just going to bullet you. Yeah. So you you need to be patient with yourself uh, in in situations like that. And um, when I was uh, when I was asked to to move to the Netherlands to go and look after a very tough um, contract um, that we had with a with a very very uh, big brand uh, yeah. globally. Um, in Philips, uh, who's a very, very strong technological company in various spaces, you know, we had um, a very, um, a, a very um, robust discussion around the meeting of the contractual obligations. Things were just going wrong too quickly okay. in some of the areas. Okay. Um, and the one thing that we did was turn it around by, by saying, 
by doing an analysis on our side and admitting where you as an individual company, organization, group of people, etc., had failed. Okay, so the starting point was to reflect on self, yeah. to say where have we come short perhaps. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And the second point is, you know, the, it, it's getting back to some of these habits in Pumi. You know, I, I'm of the firm belief that today companies cannot afford to dedicate resources 100% of the time into very specific customers depending on the size and yeah. the complexity yes. of that. Um, so we certainly have some of our customers that we zoom in and focusing in, in on with, with, with dedicated resources. But in this case, one of the things I went to the T-Systems International Board with was to say, I need dedicated resources. Okay. I need people who eat, sleep, and drink this company's brand they understand their business. They understand, you know, when there's a hiccup in the production line with light bulbs or healthcare uh, or consumer products yes. that they that they deliver, what the impact is globally. Um, because you know, we worked at the head office in Eindhoven in uh, in in the Netherlands, and the and and the board turned back and really looked at it and said, "We understand this, and let's give you a core group of people." And, you know, that was almost this, the, the factor that swung it for, for us to say, okay. we, we, and I went back a week later with a core group of guys from all over the world. We flew them into the Netherlands and we introduced them to the board of Phillips. Okay. And these guys then breathed a sigh of the relief to say, we've got a partnership here with a company that is willing to understand our business. So that to me was the, the, the second, we've got a core focused business and we're here to understand your business so that when something goes wrong or we implement something, we understand, we the, understand impact. the impact and implications of that. And that really are the two key things that helped swing the relationship. The third thing for me is we had some, you know, we had, and this is in any industry, you can apply it across any industry. When, when, when things fail, when, when stuff happens, um, in, and it breaks, and there's a breakdown, and there's a frustration. Whether it's a point-of-sale device at a retail store or whether it's a stop in a production line um, of anything that you're busy manufacturing, okay. whether you can't get people into a hospital because your systems are down, and there's immediate frustration. It's at that moment that you have to have defined plans on how to respond and make people feel special. There's a way of telling me as a person who goes into a restaurant that this is no longer on the menu. Yes. And there's another way of making me get heartburn when you tell me that. <laughs> Elaborate. So in other words, you, you know, why wait for me to ask for the grilled fish? If it's not available. Day, okay, it's I'm not with available. You. Yes. Whereas proactively and they sit down, they just say, before you order your drinks, let me just tell you that the grilled fish – is not as it is on the menu. It's going to be this fish, not that fish. Okay. You know? So it's just those small things. When a customer's in a queue and the queue buildup is long and the store manager comes and, and comes and speaks to us and says, I'm really sorry about this. We're going to have you back up in five minutes. If we can't, we're going to do manual transactioning with you because we're able to do it, but we're going to get the queue moving in five minutes versus deathly silence. Yeah. And those are the differentiators to me in terms of how you manage uh, through a crisis. Okay. It's when that infrastructure problem makes a certain core portion of your business go down that 
uh, determines how quickly your provider responds to it. In fact, if your provider lets you know before you know about the problem, that's already the first step. Absolutely. That's already the, and technology can enable you to do that anyway. So um, it's those small things. And then once you recover from that, it's to take a step back and to determine what the heck caused this and how do I prevent it from happening again. To me, there's too much of a relief in many industries when we get you back up and running. And then move on to the next And then move on and say this will never happen again. And a week later, it happens again. And two weeks later, it happens again. And you don't learn from this. And and that's when the customers walk out the door. That's when they turn around and leave and say, you've broken my trust. And so uh, those are just some of the okay. the examples around okay. that. So we were on the 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 the, the, the three the four habits. When well, the fourth habit so far, yeah. can we just do a quick recap? So the first one. So the first one is around, around focus. Around focus, yeah. Okay. The second one was around making sure that you do what you say, and then you're going to do it. To so follow through on your follow commitments. Through. And the first one is that you understand the business of the customer, and you gear everything that you do around the business of the customer. So it's okay. a more consultative type approach that you take with the customer. Okay. So the third one is that intimacy with your understanding of your customer, who and makes what decisions, how they operate, etc. Okay. And then the the fourth one was around. That the customer trusts you so much that it's okay that you push back on some of the things that they push back to you on. Okay. That it's okay for you to turn around and say to the customer, I've got such a trusted relationship with you. When this thing failed, when something happened, it was actually on your side of the fence, not on my side of the fence, but this is how we're going to help you to fix it. Okay. But you need to earn the right to engage that over time because you build it up slowly, patiently over time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. The fifth habit. My fifth habit is, is, is one around making sure that we as service providers make very powerful offers. Now, if you look at the build up to those that we just recapped now, you're not able to make a powerful offer, in my opinion, if you don't understand the customer. Of course. If, and, and even if it means if I meet you for the first time in a store, in a consumable type environment, if I probe effectively enough, I'm going to know what your need is. I'm going to know why you want that mobile phone. I'm going to know how long you want it for. Is it for business or private? Is it for filming or isn't it for filming? It's those types of things that we need to consider. Uh, When I walk into a financial institution, into a bank, and they probe me properly in terms of what I want, where do I want to go, and they guide me to the right environment, for those of us who still go into a bank, and they guide me into the right environment, and I get served quickly as a result of that. So that analysis, whether it's done manually or automated, it's still that habit that says, I can therefore guide you in the right direction and make a powerful offer to you as a result of um, of my knowledge of you. Okay. I just want to make sure that we, we, we elaborate on this powerful offer uh, uh, um, habit because I think it's key. Yeah. And can you maybe juxtapose a powerful offer vis-a-vis an offer that might be just generic or not powerful? Because maybe that will help us understand what you mean about a powerful offer better. So, you know, there, there may be um, – and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revert back to ICT at this stage of the game. You know, okay. and, it, and it may be um, – <coughs> some other examples may get to me, may get to me as, I, as I walk through this. Um, but it's often when you, you know you're sitting in front of a customer and they ask for a network, and you give them a network. Okay, that's one example. They say, 
I think I've got this network problem, and I think I must upgrade my network lines, and I must do it across the country. And, um, you know, and I've got 35 locations across the country and another 20 in Africa. So you run off and do a quote. Let me go and do this quote for this guy. You know, money's in the bag. And then you come back and you go, here's your quote, Mr. Customer. And they go, but I've just spoken to somebody else. And what they did was they sat down and they understood where my stores are, why I wanted to do this upgrade, what were the business issues I was trying to resolve, and, uh, you know, where I'm going to in the future with this business. Mm. And it took a half an hour longer for me to have this discussion, and they actually gave me one or two more powerful offers and alternatives to what it was that I was actually thought I was looking for. You know, okay. it's getting back to that point of when you're working and um, and you're standing at a airline desk checking and they go, oh, I'm sorry, my, my system is slow. And uh, in the back end uh, of a system being slow, it's either um, improper user training or, or training of the, the agent that they don't quite know exactly how to Go about processing something. Okay. Um, there could be a, a failure in the key application that's driving. It could be a network problem. It could be a whole host of issues. Their, their PC could just be blooming slow. And uh, often we go, it's a network problem. And everybody just rushes onto this network problem. And you go sort out the and network. And we go sort out the network. And in the meantime, this poor service agent's laptop is just so old that nothing could run on it. And to me, it's around those types of things that we have to go back to and say, but why do you want this? And that's where we as service providers need to play a more consultative role with our customers. Okay. We need to sit back a little bit and listen for a change, not go, I've got a network problem and say, I'm going to sort out your network problem. Mm. But it's not easy though, because you know, you, you, and, and I've been in sales in front of the customer where you're trying to be more engaging and they push you back to say, focus on this problem. Don't ask me too many questions. How do we overcome that? Yeah. And I think our discussions are changing around that. You, you know, we're no longer only talking to the technologists. Okay. Um, we are also talking to the chief marketing officers. We're talking to the COOs. We're talking to the CEOs. Um, and the technology guys that are coming in are coming in um, with a lot more um, open of, a, of an open mind that says, I'm here to resolve a business problem. Yes. And they're very, very willing to listen. Um, you know, Europe is slightly ahead of us as far as this is concerned. I don't think we in South Africa need to stand back in anything in terms of what I've seen in the various industries. And the customer loves it when you talk their language. Yes. They really, really do. So we need to, you know, gear ourselves to be able to talk this language with confidence. And, you know, look at the industry experts and ask them the right questions and help them to train and guide us. Okay. So really, um, this ability to make powerful offers stems from all the other habits. Yep. Because you need to start with all of that to get to a, a point where you effectively understand your customer enough and they trust you enough for you to get the information yes. to make a powerful offer. Absolutely. And, and again, if they know that you've got an intimate knowledge of their business or you're trying at least to have an intimate knowledge of their business, yes. then it's, it's almost irre irreversible, you know. Um, and um, and it's, it's tough for them not to buy from you. Um, it's tough for them not to do business with you. 
um, and you can be far more open. And not, we, we had a customer not too long ago that actually broke ties with us. Okay. Not because our service ethic was bad, not because um, you know we had bad people, and not because our accounts were run badly. In fact, everything was top class, world class. But they had made a internal decision to reshape, uh, you know, our business, but internally. Okay. And they got the benefit of having five years with us as an organization and the ability to take over many, most of the staff that we get up, that we trained up as well during those five-year periods to understand their business. Okay. And there was almost a flawless transition in that and transformation back into them internally. Mm. And that's also a trusted business. You know, not once during that process did we feel bad around the fact that we were losing the business back to the customer. Yeah. Because at some stage of the game, we know that we've had such a great relationship and trusted relationship with them. There's going to be a time when we push on each other's buttons again. Okay. And that's also part of the experience. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the next habit? And put me the last one is, um, is, is more internal. Um, where as a group of people that lead people, whether you're uh, called a manager, a team leader, supervisor, whatever, a supervisor, yeah. there's certain things that you have to do. You have to do, you have to focus on the things you've got control over and you have to coach your people to success. Um, and, and those to me are extremely, extremely important. So to me, habit six is that as a leader, as a uh, influencer, you're able to handle your own anxieties as a first point. Okay. And secondly, that you are able to coach people effectively through a process, whether it's good or bad. Okay. And that is around change leadership. Okay, um, so so the leadership um, aspect becomes a critical part then of of ensuring that you can maintain and sustain this customer centricity broadly. Yes, in an organization. Yeah. Okay, so I want to now bring it a bit closer to home in terms of the the context within which we we have our conversations on the show, and that's around disruption. Yep. Because in a world where technology is shifting and changing the way that businesses function, the way that businesses in, in engage their customers, um, customer centricity becomes topical because things change so quickly, but you want to still stay relevant to your customers, right? How do these seven habits allow organizations to still maintain that relevance, even in a disruptive environment? So, I mean, it, Evolves around everything, and it was t tailored into a huge amount of of um, some of the examples. A bigger part, some of the examples that we mentioned earlier on had some of those examples in it. And okay. again, I I believe that every business, every day, today needs to look at ways to disrupt. Um, and I don't care whether you're a spuzzer shop or whether you're an affluent retailer somewhere along the way. Okay, you know I know some of the guys. That culturally, when they walk into a Shabin, they're used to paying with cash. Today, you can pay with your card and get the same printout that you had as you get when you, you know, walk out with a, a quart of beer mm. that you do get at a bank as if you're drawing money. Yes. And that builds trust. And that's at a Shabin level. Yeah. You know? 
And these guys have Wi-Fi and the ability to surf. So there's education that happens at the same time. And, um, and you know, taxis are going to go viral soon, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you know, the South African Taxi Association, I don't believe, is far away from moving to a technology-based organization pretty soon. Mm. I mean, it would be fantastic to see you being able to surf with free Wi-Fi on every ta- taxi and be able to do your shopping online. And by the time you get home, it's delivered to your house. Absolutely. Or you go and pick it up quickly. Yeah. Um, so technology is disrupting um, every portion of what I've said, you know, all five or all six of these habits. Yes. It's disrupts. And we have to, as part of this process, think about how um, customer centricity and technology come closer and work hand in hand with each other. So it's big data. It's big data analytics. It's how we do marketing to our customers. It's how quickly and reliability we delo- reliably we deliver products and services. I just want to get back to one point which links to it. Many people believe that when they sit at their desk or they sit within a value chain and they just do a small portion of something Mm -hmm. and pass it on to the next person and the next person and the next person who eventually distributes the service to the customer and gets them to sign on the dotted line Mm -hmm. or purchase this product, they just believe they're just a – you know, a, a little being in the bigger scheme of things. But if you continue wearing that hat that says, through my technology and my process that I'm driving, no matter how small it is, I'm going to be serving somebody who is going to be serving the customer. Yes. If that's the mindset. Whether you're a technologist, you're an engineer, a shop floor assistant, it doesn't matter. It makes a massive difference. So technology now surrounds all of us because our customers have got a decision to make and they make decisions a lot quicker as a result of technology. And therefore, we have to, as service providers, as um, as suppliers of products, we have to think out of the box all day, every day, in everything that we do. The other, th- you, you know, it's very difficult for large organizations to stay in touch. Sometimes. Yes, and that's exactly the point I was going to come to now. And you know, yeah, carry, yeah, no, I mean, no, just just leaning into that to say, you know, um, organizations and enterprises are not designed to deal with yeah. intimate engagement with customers. They they're designed largely to deal with their own internal operations, so how they execute their product or service, and then to deal with a broad set of customers. Um, that shift. It's going to be tricky for us to to, try, to to transition through that, especially with all the disruption that's all also coming onto the table. Yeah, there's two aspects. Again, for me, there's two aspects to that. One is that as a provider of service, again, I mean, just apply any of the habits to it at the end of the day. But if, you know, if I run a transport and logistics company that delivers stuff from point A to point B to 10 different customers. Yes. If I plan my logistics properly, the customer can plan when something's going to be on the shelf. They then need to be able to take that into their marketing and say, on this day, something's going to happen. Yes. It's going to be on the shelf. They're going to have to guarantee it. If my logistics organization fails them in that, I failed. Okay, so irrespective of whether you've got this big, 
bulk of stuff happening that you need to manage. Mm. If you're not innovative in the way you get things there, if technology is not going to help you, if you're not using, um, you know, any of the, the, the directional stuff that says get me the, there to that, that you know, distribution center the quickest possible way, if you're not using technology to do that, it's just crazy. You know? Yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah. It's, it's, that's one example of it. The second example of it is that as larger organizations, we need to also be a little bit patient with the up-and-coming guys that are extremely innovative very quickly. Okay. Elaborate on that a bit. So it's difficult for very big organizations to turn around and say, we're going to be innovative and we're going to turn this tanker that we've been sailing with for the last 20 years into an easterly direction within an hour. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. It's not going to happen. But if we had um, a couple of speedboats out there around this tanker and uh, they were assisting us in, in turning quickly by taking some oil, I'm just using a crazy example, but yes. just taking some oil off the tank and just zapping it to the island quickly and they can get there in 10 seconds and I'm going to get there in 10 days, then why not invest in stuff like that? Why not look at partnering with those types of organizations and helping them be successful? Okay. Because the future depends on the speed. The future depends on how quickly it's going to get to store, to consumer, to provider, to the, that entire process, that entire supply chain. And that's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. But I guess it, it does link into the customer intimacy because to the extent that a large organization has to deal with broad topics and a wide variety of topics, when you've got these smaller speedboat um, innovative entrepreneurial companies, they can zone in on a specific business problem and yep. be very good at addressing that very quickly. Yeah, I almost want to say they will, they will zoom in on a business solution, mm. which they have already done. Yeah. They've done their problem analysis. And it's the age-old story of you find many of these, these youngsters and uh, companies sitting at home um, or sitting in a really small factory producing the most amazing things. Yes. Um, and these are the, the organizations that you have to partner with. You know, it, it's also very important, and, and in any industry this is important. If you are not going to be able to change your customer-centric mindset and behavior in everything you do, whether you're a technology company uh, or any other industry, if you're not going to be able to do that, what you are going to do very quickly is make your customer your biggest competitor. Interesting. Because if you don't do it, they will. So give us some examples there just to, so that we, so that I can get a better understanding of this. So the statement is, if you're not able to prioritize customer centricity, you're going to make your customer your biggest competitor very quickly, effectively. Yeah, well, well let, let's look at it from a technological perspective. So those speed, that speedboat example I used? Yes. If you're going to continue being an oil tanker, you're going to continue Delivering services 15 days later yes. than what the customer wants it, by example. Yes. The customer will start investing in the speedboat. Okay. And the customer will start sending the speedboat to you, and you'll be dripping oil into the customer's speedboat. Yes. And they'll be taking it to the island for the use of the customer. And, um, and that's what I mean. And um, then eventually they may start doing it for other oil tankers. And then maybe they think this is a good business Boom. to be in, and yeah. then they become your competitor. And they become your competitor. And, you know, everything's connected nowadays. 
And again, it's connected because we've got some, probably some fantastic, fantastic, dynamic younger organizations in this country that are delivering super services mm. that many of our customers in T-Systems, by the way, have made us aware of to say, I'm working with these guys and let me introduce you to them. Okay. And it's been, you know, it's been amazing. To, so to so T-Systems is actively working in terms of um, collaborating with smaller, more potentially more agile organizations. How, how's that working? We have to do that. It's, it's a little bit slow. You remember, you know, we could be considered as a, as a little bit of a, of a, of a tanker if we're really honest with ourselves. Yes. And, um, and, but we've made some really nice strides in terms of partnering very, very nicely. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a company that dispenses beer in Pumi. Yeah. We want to save water with them. Interesting. And, and they're not a big organization, you know. There's a company that produces kiosks, and we want to do cardless payments with them. Um, there's an organization that's a mining company, and we want to do smart cities and sustainability projects with them. Um, there's, a, there's a company that already, you know, does analytics extensively within their industry, and we want to partner with them as far as that is for uh, you know for that for that for those types of industries so those are just a couple of very high-level examples i really like those examples because it's very clearly then showing me how a focus on customer centricity drives you into a new form of business perhaps a partnership model and in effect you become disruptive because all of a sudden you can see different use cases Coming out of those partnerships, you know, you spoke about a company that dispenses beer probably efficiently, but all of a sudden there's a, a use case for water, you know, for water usage and how you dispense water cost effectively, efficiently, yeah. etc. And so there is an angle that by being customer centric, you can become very disruptive as well. Yeah, it? yeah absolutely. And, and, and again, if, if, if all we did was deliver the customer's network because you asked for a network, yes. all you would have got is a network. But because we are starting to probe more effectively, because of our centricity focus around customer and where they're going and what they're doing and the commodity products and non-commodity products and services we have in the back end, we can shape it far better. And there's an evolution happening at yeah. the moment yes. in terms of our industry and specifically within our organization of having those, organiz uh, those discussions with their clients from the guy that sits down and answers the phone to the person that delivers the techno technology behind it to the guys who craft our solutions to the guys who go and see the customer. Everybody in that value chain is starting to become more customer-centric by having a different discussion with the client. Yeah. And it's amazing to see. And, and I think it's important to make sure that you're part of that discussion. Otherwise, yes. you're just another third quotation or whatever the case may Otherwise, be. Otherwise, you will just be another network provider, just using using network as the example that I used earlier. I yeah. want a network. Okay, I'll give you a network. <laughs> so now talk to me a little bit about T-Systems. Um, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it can be considered to be a little bit of a tanker itself, being it's a large organization that's been in, you know, in, in this particular industry for a long time. How is T-Systems managing with this changing environment? How is it adapting to this environment? Yeah, well, firstly, you know, we're 20 years old, and uh, we came about as a result of um, Deutsche Telekom, which is a telecommunications organization, and uh, 
that whole Daimler Debus system house that was here 20 years ago, mm-hmm. which was an IT and systems integration organization. And since then, we've evolved into an organization that now has more than 114 customers under contract. And that's from… In South Africa. In South Africa. Okay. In South Africa, yeah. And, um, and we're one of the top 26 ICT providers globally within the T-System stable. We, um, we, currently, um, we currently have very, very small customers and we have very, very large customers. Yes. And um, lots of customers in between that. So our ability over the last, uh, probably the last seven to eight years to learn to adapt. I mean, there's a customer that eight years ago, um, in fact, less than eight years ago, about six years ago, one of the sales guys came to us and said, please, let's do business with this customer. And there was almost um, an arrogance in the system in inverted commas that said, no, man, they rock really small. Mm, they're not big enough for us. It's today one of our top 25 customers. Wow. Within the 114. And the way in which we applied these habits has evolved them into becoming one of our top 26 customers. It's okay. absolutely amazing it's to see. Yeah. So whilst I mentioned the example of this, you know, this medium-sized tanker, the ability to adapt and to invest in those speedboats has been very, very significant for us as an organization. And uh, getting closer to our customer as a result of this is extremely important. So, you know, that's a little bit more about us. Okay. And uh, looking at, you know, we acquired Intervate, uh, I think it was three and a half years ago. Yes. Um, that we just rela- relaunched the brand um, last week. We'll do it again on the 16th in, in the Western Cape at our InTouch event. And we've evolved from um, looking at being, we only service the large, um, to servicing very, very small customers and looking at how we can grow share of wallet through them by having these very important discussions. Yeah. But there's also an aspect of partnering with customers that, that comes into play because, you know, with disruption, the lines between what a customer and a partner and a competitor, those lines become very blurred. And so the way you partner needs to be quite different. Yeah. I mean, Mpumi, uh, as I said, you know, if you don't partner effectively, your customer could become your greatest uh, competitor. So, uh, you know, we partnered in terms of, um, and I think we launched this last year, uh, we, we have launched what we call unoutsourcing. Okay. Um, and that's quite a unique uh, concept for us. Um, and um, what it basically means is we don't lock you into these long-term contracts anymore. We literally base, um, you know, our um, contractual obligation on trust. So a couple of things happen through this process. If you want out because you've had poor service experience or you want out because your financial financials from a service perspective doesn't make sense anymore and mm-hmm. we're not able to adapt to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some conditions, but it's really just very, very, um, very, very minor conditions. You can get out and there's no massive contract that keeps you in. And we have actually found uh, as a result of that mindset and approach that there's been more customers knocking on our door than vice versa since we've launched it. Yes. It's, it's, been ima- it's been amazing to see. I mean, this year alone we've signed 12 new logos um, within the organization. So it's a little bit of boasting. You yeah. know, we say this very humbly. The competition out there is extremely tough. But, you know, the concept of unoutsourcing 
you know, is very attractive and works for us. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm guessing you're doing that because you don't want to wait for the disruption to come. You kind of want to drive that disruptive energy into the environment so that you remain competitive and relevant as well. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, it will probably do you, you know, uh, do you the world of good to have a chat around, you know, the whole, the whole mindset behind the old, you know, the old mindset around the delivery way of thinking to have a chat to, to somebody like Monet about it as well around, you know, the, the, the mindset change in delivery around disruption, quicker to market, Pockets of excellence. Mm. Um, um, you know, we have a very specific focus on on key things that we want to go to market with, that we want to push because we're very strong in that. And a lot of it is disruptive type technologies that we want to push to market. But but will T-Systems still remain an IT company? Um, we, we see now, you know, people say, we saw, you know, Amazon was a book company. I mean, they just sell books and now they're one of the largest ICT organizations in the world. Companies like T-Systems and your competitors, I mean, is there still relevance for the work you do or, or will someone else do that? The banks or government? What's, what's the future looking like for organizations like yours? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And as such, you know, we've, we've looked at 2022 to say, you know, is 2022 far enough to look way ahead? And then we've planned back into 2017. 2018, 2019, and, and the roadmap to that. And we've looked at it in three horizons, which really just says, hold on to existing customers and how can you be disruptive within these existing uh, customers, which is horizon two. And uh, horizon three is what is the new stuff that's going to disrupt the market um, that we need to invest in. So, you know, we apply the three horizon strategy quite, uh, quite extensively. So it's a, it's a very good question. You know, are we still going to be ICT players? Yes, mm. I think we are. Mm. Okay. Because and, the, and why would you say that? The, the core doesn't go away in Pumi. Okay. You know, we've just also recently as T-Systems announced quite an exciting partnership with, with Microsoft on the Azure side. Yes. Now, as we, as we announced at the launch, to build your own massive cloud investment as far as that, that was an option for us. But when we heard that Microsoft were coming to South Africa – and investing in the Azure cloud in South Africa, yes, it was a no-brainer for us in terms of the amount of um, investment they do in, in in evolving this to help, you know, players like ourselves become more competitive. Okay, for our customer base. As a result of that, we're also able to provide very very significant services around that, whether it's the security services, the network services on top of that. The cloud services, the infrastructure in a very secure way with highly skilled people to get you from where your current environment is into the new environment in a very organized, structured manner with zero disruption to your business and guaranteeing you zero outage as a mindset and a philosophy along the way, that's not going to go away. Even if you go and revisit the six habits that we've just spoken about. Yes. All of which I've mentioned yes. is evolved in that statement. So the growth in that core infrastructure, we think, is going to be significant over the next couple of years. So if I, if I understand what you're saying, you cannot be customer-centric if the fundamentals are not in place because you'll always have problems. Yep. From a technology point of view, at least. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you, 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 yeah, it's just... You know, at the risk of repeating stuff, I mean, I'm just saying, zero distance really just means you close the distance between yourself and your customer. 
Zero deviation means everything you do and touch in terms of the services you provide, you do without any disruption. Okay. Zero outage is a mindset that you have that says, let's build in preventative stuff that you look at uh, up front by understanding your customer's business. And when, when something fails, you fix it in such a way that there's almost no disruption to the business. And then zero touch simply means automate where you possibly can. Mm. And, I mean, if you follow through with, with some of those mindsets, um, and that's, you know, our entire organization uh, subscribes to that, um, then it makes the journey of the customer in disruption a lot lighter. Yeah. So yeah. we invest in those types of things. Okay. Um, and also, you know, our technologists that work in the organization. So I, l- let me just tell you, I think there's going to be space for us. But we have to evolve. We have to invest in those speedboats yeah. uh, and, and um, partner with them more effectively. We have to partner more effectively. You know, we've got some very, very strong partnerships going at the moment of dis- companies who are doing disruption. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I in touch showcase recently last week in Johannesburg and, and the coming uh, uh, Monday, the 16th in, in the Western Cape will, will really show that in terms of how we've changed the focus. Fantastic, Mike. So, what I, what I've really enjoyed about this conversation is, is is two things. One is that customer centricity is a mindset, right? So it's something that must be ingrained and built into the philosophy of the organization. But that there are very tangible things, both at a philosophical level, but also technology, because I mean, technology is driving a lot of business today. That organizations can do to maintain their customer centricity. Because it's something that you maintain. It's not a once-off thing you do. You have a very nice loyalty program, and that means you're customer-centric. I mean, you have to maintain it and engage it on an ongoing basis. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and Pumi, I think that we as service providers and providers of service, because I'm also a customer, and all I really want you to do is keep it simple. And if I may just mention one last example. Um, yes, please, please, go ahead. You, you know, um, we have a brand ambassador in, in Wade Fanikak, and he was a um, – and he was a premature baby. And if he didn't get the right treatment at the time of being a prem baby, he could have ended up blind. So what we did was we sat down with the nurses and the staff of Kretisky Hospital and we just asked them, what are their top 10 issues that they currently have? Now, we were sitting there up front and we were thinking, right, you know, let's have this initial meeting because it's going to be about network speed and it's going to be about the technologies outdated. <laughs> yeah. and we're going to throw in yeah. some laptops and we're going to upgrade their networks and we're going to write a little app for them and everything's just going to be awesome. Their first priority was that they're not able to get to the mothers and fathers once the baby leaves the hospital. In the premature section. In the premature section. Okay. <coughs> And all they wanted was a little scheduling system that enabled them to somehow uh, contact the parents who don't often have the smartphones you and I have. Um, they just have these old handsets, mm. and they're not able to get proper messaging to them. So we built a very simple application, which was number one on their, on their list of things. We built a very simple application. Which we never thought we'd do hmm. To help schedule The parents to come and do revisits The impact of that Could be that we prevent Less premature babies Becoming blind Amazing. And now we wonder 
why, you know, we think or we think disruption is complex. It's not. It's about customer centricity. It's around standing back and just listening for a change. You don't have to be the fully-fledged expert anymore. Those we leave for the retailers, the healthcare professionals, the automotive makers, the manufacturers of this world, the financial institutions, they are the experts. Our job is to listen and provide services and products that meet their needs so that when we walk into any one of those institutions, we get a better service. Ourselves, yeah. Ourselves. And that's the position we need to put ourselves in. That's actually a wonderful. I was going to ask you a definition of disruption, but I think you've captured it very well there. Then offer me your vision for our country and our continent on the basis of the conversation we've had, but also on the basis of the experience you have on the field with customers, um, and with partners, um, uh, and basically all the stakeholders that you engage. We're a very tough nation on ourselves. And yet I... Having worked in Europe and, you know, having the ability to travel extensively, we give ourselves too little credit. I mean, I just had an imagine to you just now. Imagine if our taxis have free Wi-Fi, if our buses have free Wi-Fi, that everybody who travels on them have access to technology. We often try and complicate things by not keeping it simple. Yeah. Go to an underprivileged school with your old laptop or your old iPad and just give it to them. They will make it work. They will improve maths, English results. Uh, they will improve those types of results, science results, by 30 to 40%. The hope for me of our, us as a nation is, is two things. One is through technology. It doesn't matter how old. There you saw with a Khrutsky example. Yes. The parents had old technology, but we're able to give them a reminder. The kids at school, you think this old laptop of yours is useless. Let's throw it in the garage. No, throw it into the school. You know, if we don't get that base right up front, very simply, we're going to fail as a nation. Then you take it a step up in terms of saying, now walk into our shopping centers doesn't matter where it is. Mm -hmm. Now I start speaking to the CEOs and COOs and CIOs of retailers, of manufacturers, of healthcare professionals, and you think we have got nothing, nothing to stand back on. Some of these thinkings in terms of digitization and disruption, some of these guys thinking financial institutions is way ahead of the curve yeah. than, our, you know, than other countries in this world. So we're a nation that's extremely hard on ourselves, and we need to just chill a little bit and go with the flow and let the youngsters take over a little bit as well. <laughs> I mean, let's listen to them as well. You yeah. know? I hope my son's not going to listen to this. Um, but let's listen to them you know, and, and understand you know, how they can make a difference to this country of ours because oh, having traveled, as I said, extensively, coming back here is just an absolute blessing for us uh, as a family. So. And for Africa, yeah, I, I think uh, we're, we're the jewel of, uh, of the globe at the moment.
Mm. Um, and we need to recognize that. We need to recognize and Give that. ourselves credit, yeah. And, yeah. So, Mike, we've reached the end. Thank you so awesome. much. Um, yeah. I think we will definitely be having more conversations. Fantastic. Um, you know, thank you for engaging on the subject of customer centricity. It remains very relevant to the core of, yep. I think, many organizations and a lot of learnings in the six habits. I know you're active on social media. If somebody wants to get hold of you, would like to um, access the six habits to revisit them, um, your LinkedIn. Yep. I'll put it in on, uh, I'll put it up uh, after the show and put me on LinkedIn and on, uh, on Twitter and okay. on Facebook. So and on Facebook. They can okay. find me on, on all of those. Okay. And also they can contact you through T-Systems South Africa. So yep. www.t-systems.co.za. Ask for Mike Butner. Um, and he will surely be happy to engage and take the conversation further with, with, with uh, people that would be interested. But thank you once again, um, for joining us on awesome. Disrupt with Mpumin Tlapo. Thank you to everybody who's joined us on the show. Um, we look forward to engaging you next week in a further conversation around how disruption is really becoming part and parcel of everyday life. Thank you to our sponsors, T-Systems and Mike Button and the team for making the platform available to us. It really is very valuable. Uh, T-Systems will be showcasing some of what we've spoken about today from a technology perspective at the InTouch 2017 event in Cape Town. If you go to their website, uh, you can get all the information that you require. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. This is cliffcentral.com.